and welcome to Shakashala podcast number five. So today we're going to look a little bit deeper into once we become lucid, what we actually are going to do. So once we become lucid, there's a lot of options, a lot of different practices, and these have a lot to do with why we are working with lucidity, what our goals were when we started this whole process. So let's imagine that you're in a dream, you've recognized the dream sign, something strange, and you've carried out a reality check, you've put your hand through a wall, or your hand through your hand, or anything anything like this which proves to you that you're currently in a dream, and you are fully lucid, so now you know that you are dreaming, you recognize it's a dream, you recognize you're in your mind, and this really sort of opens you up to the beginning of practice. Something I really like to do is once I become lucid, I do two things. The first is I try to improve the level of that lucidity. So normally I will rub my hands together and I will look up to the sky or the space of the dream and I will just ask for more clarity or more lucidity. And what normally happens is the scene gets very, very detailed, probably more detailed than, I mean, we could probably come to understand through normal vision because we're not seeing with our eyes, we're seeing with our mind. And then my next thing I do is I normally dedicate whatever practice I'm doing uh, for some sort of positive benefit. So it might be that anything I learn in the dream or from my engagements will be for the betterment of people, uh, betterment of myself. Uh, I actually do this through a sound. The sound is called the hong, H-U-N-G. Uh, I make this sound and it's mainly a, a sound which generates compassion in Tibetan Buddhism. So I make this sound to the space, which is, is really just a way of saying to the space that I am here for certain reasons. And, and this generally makes any hard to deal with content a lot easier to deal with. So we've gone lucid, so what do we do? Well, this is really up to you. Many people, when they first become lucid, you know, there can be things like flying, going to places they've always wanted to go, seeing things they've never seen, being something they've always wanted to be, meeting someone they've always wanted to meet. This is really, really broad. And, and realistically, when you first go lucid, it is good to just play with the space and, and even live out some of those fantasies. It's, it's pretty hilarious as a male and other males that I've taught in lucid dreaming. A common thing that comes up for even females and males is uh, a lot of sexual stuff tends to come up in dreams. So a lot of stuff comes up where people um, basically get to live out or enact things that maybe in their waking life they can't or they feel too inhibited to act out or experiences that maybe have become available in the dream which aren't available in real life. And in all honesty, it's again another part of the practice which needs to be worked through. Uh, the big one is not to label things as negative or positive or anything like this. You really... 
just want to go with it, come to sort of understand those limitations, work through those limitations, not get attached or caught in anything, but really just work through and continue to work through and in some ways live out those those things. In many ways they can disinhibit you in your waking life, get you more in touch with parts of yourself that maybe you haven't been as in touch with, um, be it sexually, emotionally, emotionally. Uh, so I say to a lot of people to go for it, really. Don't get stuck, don't go chasing it, but if there's something that comes up, don't be afraid to sort of go with it because it's very important to sort of work through those limitations. Once you sort of are lucid, you want to start a process of really trying to work with what's possible in the space. So a really good thing might be to fly, to walk through objects, to move objects with your mind, to multiply objects, decrease objects, make yourself bigger, smaller, speed time up, slow time down. Uh, sort of like anything you can really think of working with that space, and especially if it seems impossible, because what you're trying to do here is really break down mental boundaries and improve your neuroplasticity. So a boundary of a wall in many ways represents something I don't think I can do. And then when I walk through that wall, my neuroplasticity is increased in some ways because I've done something I did not think was possible. So it's kind of like an opening up. And in many ways, children have that neuroplasticity so much more developed than us and as we become older we lose that so it's a really useful way of starting to get that plasticity back into our mind which uh, will affect our meditation later. So the first thing is just working with a lot of different experiences, um, pushing yourself into places especially even if they're fearful. Uh, some of the sort of older Tibetan teachings talk about walking into the fire or walking into the thing that scares you, uh, you know, walking into drowning and, and realizing you're not, not going to drown. So these are really useful things. Something to always keep in mind when you're working with a space like this is ask yourself, what is the thing that is changing and what is the thing that is not changing? Like what is the part of this experience that seems to be stable and non-changing? And what is the other part which is being changed by my thoughts, by my actions on the space. So this is sort of like the beginning. We will each podcast delve a little bit deeper into these practices and how they layer and advance to to sort of more profound non-dualistic experiences of emptiness uh, and then later sort of really sort of working towards uh, connecting to aspects of ourselves that maybe have been a bit lost or coming in contact with parts of ourselves that we've been afraid of, uh, kind of starting to really break down the barrier between dark and light and see it as a judgment. So the next thing I sort of wanted to move on to was things that can help you go lucid if you're kind of right on the cusp. So. There's a few sort of key things here that can help. So one is if you wake up about two and a half hours earlier than normal, get up for half an hour and meditate for about half an hour. So generally get up, sit down in a formal way, go through a mindfulness meditation and interweave into that meditation, remembering the dream you're in, playing out yourself, recognizing a dream sign that was in that dream 
and then carrying out your predetermined action that you were looking to enact. And then you continue with the meditation for the rest of the half an hour, then you go back to bed with the intent on recognizing the dream and carrying out your action. So this will vastly increase your chances. A lot of people are adverse to waking up and actually uh, waking up and getting out of bed and meditating, going back to bed. But once you get into this practice, it becomes very, very natural. Uh, the other thing is you may find it a little bit hard to fall asleep. So we can enact the four, seven, eight breath in for four, hold for seven, out for eight. We maybe do about 10 of these just to bring ourselves back to the ability to sleep. So the, that's the first one. The second one is actually working with sound. So a good practice here is different sounds can actually affect in some ways our lucidity, especially if we're a bit blocked energetically. So those sounds are ah, um, hum. So if we sit maybe for 30 repetitions of ah, so ah, focusing on a white light at the forehead, that's followed by um, Om, which is a red light at the throat. And finally, Hum, Hum, is a blue light at the chest. Man, we do about 30 repetitions of each of these. Do the Ah, then the Om, then the Hum. This can be really useful, especially if it's done in that 30 minute meditation after we wake up two and a half hours early. It can, for some people, really break them through and give them lucidity. Uh, the next thing we'll talk about is introduction of the hypnagogic and hypnopompic states. So next time I'm going to really delve into these, I just want to introduce these two states. So the hypnagogic is where we are falling asleep and we tend to get some imagery. It's a pre-dream state, very useful for auto-suggestion. It has a lot of relationships to the hypnotic state. Later in a more advanced practice, we enter the dream through this state uh, directly with no loss of consciousness. In the hypnopompic, it's the post-dream state. Uh, it's a very, very deep level of relaxation. Uh, it's There's not imagery as in the sense of the hypnagogic state, but there's very much a connection to wisdom, to depth, natural meditation. Uh, some reference it as clear light. Uh, Yoga Nidra has a lot, uh, sort of a lot of interaction with the state. In uh, sort of more advanced practice, it's considered a more important state because it really shows us our own nature, especially if we can contact the state before we have a sense of our body. So we're sort of in this lucid experience of a non-dualistic space. So I've covered quite a lot today. Uh, next time, I'm going to really sort of give you more things you can work with in hypnagogic and hypnopompic state. We're also going to talk about, again, more advanced techniques and just keep layering and layering and layering. Big thing is just remember to write your dreams, remember to set intention, have some form of basic meditation going on in your life, and don't be afraid to take some risks waking up two and a half hour early and actually giving things a go. If you go back to bed after those two and a half hours, lying on your back will probably increase your chances as well because it will keep your mind in a slightly more active state, which will allow you to capture the dream, catch yourself dreaming a little easier. So until next time, thank you for listening.